Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, tonight, the talk is Clear Comprehension, Part 2. A few weeks ago, when I gave the Part 1 of this talk, um, I um, shared a bit of the Satipatthana Sutta, from which this concept of clear comprehension uh, comes. I can find it here. Yeah. Um, And I also shared, for those who weren't here, a few reference books that you might find interesting. Um, This is one that um, has been with me for many years, The Heart of Buddhist Meditation by Nyanapanaka Tara, um, who is this really brilliant mind, uh, German uh, by origin, who also um, was the head of the Buddhist Publication Society in Sri Lanka that puts out many, many of the original teachings of, of the Buddha. Uh, he also was mentor to uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, uh, who, is, who then took over as head of the Buddhist Publication Society and as the great translator of all the, uh, the, the big uh, uh, collections of the Buddhist discourse. And this, is a, this book is on the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse on mindfulness that all of Buddhist meditation is based in. And it's a, a really... Uh, great uh, exposition of it. Very clear mind. I'm going to read a little bit from it later on. He has the discourse and his explanation of the discourse. And this it was first first came out 1968. No, 19. Oh, first published 1962. Uh, I came across it in the early 70s. Um, so. I love this book, but then there were uh, more recent um, excellent expositions of the Satipatthana Sutta. This one uh, by um, the Venerable Bhikkhu uh, Analio called Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization. Um, Also brilliant German uh, monk, and um, this has become a real popular one and classic. And from this, I don't have it with me, uh, Joseph Goldstein uh, has a, a thick book uh, called Mindfulness um, that is based on Analio's book where he gives 46, I think, talks on the Satipatthana Sutta uh, outlined by Analio. Uh, Analio, besides the discourse, has the whole, uh, has his commentary on it. And those talks can be heard on Dharma Seed. Um, just go to uh, Joseph Goldstein and put in uh, Satipatthana series and you'll get 46 different talks. <clears throat> and this book on <clears throat> called Mindfulness is a really brilliant um, written compilation of of his commentary on the Satipatthana Sutta. So here's the the discourse where clear comprehension is mentioned. Um, Herein, a monk or a practitioner dwells practicing body contemplation on the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, 
having overcome covetousness and grief concerning the world. These are the four foundations of mindfulness. He then dwells practicing feeling contemplation on feelings, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, having overcome covetousness and grief concerning the world. He then dwells practicing mind contemplation on the mind, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, having overcome covetousness and grief concerning the world. And he dwells practicing mind object contemplation on mind objects, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, having overcome covetousness and grief concerning the world. So those are the four areas that the Buddha suggests to be mindful of. The body, the breath, um, your postures, walking, uh, standing, lying down, eating, all activities. He says, pay attention and be mindful of those. Um, and there's a number of other uh, aspects of contemplation on the body. And then the second one is contemplation on feelings. And in this instance, the word feeling is spoken of as um, feeling tone. It's not so much emotions as um, the flavor of experience, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. He says, pay attention, just seeing if it's pleasant, unpleasant, or a neutral moment. And that can be a very profound doorway to freedom. And then he says, pay attention to objects of mind, which includes all the thoughts and feelings and mind states that come through us. He says, pay attention and know, oh, here's the mind with anger, as a mind with anger. Here's a mind with lust, as a mind with lust. Here's a mind with um, peace and concentration, as a mind with those things. He says, just notice the different states of mind. And that also includes noticing all the thoughts that come through. And then the fourth foundation is noticing what's called mindfulness of the dharmas, which is a complex collection of teachings, including how the mind gets caught, the five hindrances, how it can be freed, the seven factors of enlightenment, uh, and some other aspects of experience, the six sense doors, the five aggregates, and the four noble truths. That's the fourth foundation. I'm not going to go into all that now. Obviously, if Joseph gave 46 talks on it, uh, and there's just a limit to how much it can do. But anyway, those are the four different foundations. And you can hear in each one, he says, contemplate this ardent, it's a beautiful word, ardent, with, with ardor, with real feeling. It's not this very you know, detached, cool, you know, there's a scientific quality to it, but a real heart quality, ardent. You are really engaged. You're really interested. Ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful. So clearly comprehending, he distinguishes from mindful. There's an element to clear comprehension that's that's not exactly the bare attention of mindfulness. Uh, and that's what we've been talking about. And I'll catch you up. By the way, in Analio's translation, he translates it as clearly knowing. So clearly knowing, same as clear comprehension. So just as a little um, uh, um, review, clear comprehension means having a, a sense of the context that one would be mindful about something. So you're sitting here 
and you're noticing the breath come in and out. Hmm. Breathing in, breathing out, or feeling it rising and falling, or noticing, oh, hearing, hearing, or noticing, oh, itching, itching. The simple noticing of the moment is what Nyanapanika um, calls bare attention. It's just recognizing this moment. Oh, this is a moment of breathing in or breathing out, etc. But clearly comprehending broadens it a bit. So you're not just noticing, as I said the other day, I, I remembered the phrase uh, after I gave the talk uh, that uh, Christina Feldman used to say, and, uh, a wonderful teacher from, from England, and she says, this is more than just noticing the breath come in and out. It's a very good thing to do and a kind of neat trick to do. But if that's all this is, uh, she called it having a transcendental lobotomy. Where just, okay, see it in? All right, I got it. But there's a purpose to noticing the breath coming in and out. There's a reason why the Buddha says at the beginning of this, this is the, in this translation, this is the sole way in Analios, he says, this is the most direct way, or Thich Nhat Hanh says, this is the most wondrous way for overcoming sorrow, lamentation, and grief, despair, pain, and anxiety, and realize the highest happiness by being mindful. So it's not just to know, oh, in-breath, out-breath. As you cultivate this mindfulness, this quality of mindfulness, the miracle of mindfulness, as Thich Nhat Hanh, one of his books, writes, it starts to purify the mind and the heart. It starts to help us cut through this confusion that takes things personally. It helps us get out of our stories to even see that there are stories there. And it accesses the highest happiness and peace, which also includes a radiant loving heart filled with compassion, equanimity, and joy. Isn't that amazing? All of those things happen by just being mindful. Where mindfulness is the basis that leads to all of that. But that's where the clear comprehension comes in. So you see that it's more than just that very bare experience, that there's um, a, a larger picture. And I'll briefly review the first two of the, uh, these clear comprehensions and then get into the, um, the last two. First one is called clear comprehension of purpose. That is... It makes a big difference to do this practice, to do this very simple exercise, knowing that it will help us awaken, knowing that it truly can free the mind and the heart, knowing that it can have a deep impact on aligning ourselves with our values and knowing that this will lead to great happiness and freedom. And so the first of this clear comprehension 
is in these commentaries called clear comprehension of purpose, which really probably everybody here is in touch with in one way or another. There's some reason why you would, excuse me, come here on a Thursday night and sit and try to pay attention to your breath or the moment or listen to a talk or go on a retreat. Isn't there? Isn't there some reason you're doing this? Besides, oh, I think I'm just going to sit still and watch my breath for 40 minutes. What a cool thing to do. Yeah, And it is a very cool thing to do, but you're motivated because you get a sense there's something here. You know, I, I, I remember, and I've shared this many times, when I first heard Joseph Goldstein, my main teacher, um, talk about practice. This is in 1974, the summer of 74, at Naropa Institute, uh, which is now Naropa University. And he just made such good sense. And he was saying that it's really possible to not be run by your neurotic thought patterns. That had never occurred to me as a possibility before. But there was something about the way he said it that rang true. I believed him and I thought, oh, wow. To not get lost in my stories and my confusion to be clear and free and get in touch with all the good inside instead of all the judgments in there. Wow. I'm going for it. That was my clear comprehension of purpose. It, it, it gives a motivation and says, yes, I want to go for that. There's something to this. And it's not like there's one right clear comprehension of purpose. You might have a very different one. You might have a sense of just wanting to let all the beauty and gifts that life has given you shine through. Oh, that, that's worthwhile doing. If this helps me do that, great, I'm going for it. Or you might feel, oh, it would be so cool to just be peaceful, to have some deep inner peace. I'm going for that. So there's many, many answers and motivators. And for me, over time, it has changed. There have been different times that I've had different purposes that, um, inspired me. And that's great. You want to keep it fresh. Sometimes you can even forget, why was I doing this in the first place? You know, I know there was a reason, you know, but we can forget. And when we remember and connect with something that really touches us inside, that's where the juice comes to do this. And you do need juice to do this. Otherwise, it's very hard to explain to somebody, oh yes, I'm going away for um, a week or 10 days, a month, and I'm, I'm just going to be um, watching my breath. You know. Yeah, okay. Or I'm just going to be paying attention to my experience. You know. It's bizarre. You know, well, what are you really doing with your life? You know, and so to really get in touch with your your purpose, even if now at the beginning, it's just you read something or heard a talk, or you have a friend that seems like he or she is going in the right direction. You say. You know, there's something there. I'm just curious. 
everybody, especially these days, everybody keeps talking about this mindfulness stuff. What is there to it? That's okay. It means you're curious enough to just check it out for yourself. So that's the first one. Okay, clear comprehension of purpose. And I th- last time when I gave this talk, I, I had people just reflect on what motivated them. And um, maybe we'll just do it for another moment or so. We won't we'll get into a, a full exploration, but just to make it relevant to you, go inside and get in touch with why you're here or why you're listening to this talk wherever you are. What motivates you? What moves you? No wrong answer. Just let it be real. Something has touched you. Don't miss it. It's precious. It's what keeps you going when it's a little bit dry or confusing. Mm. Mm. Clear comprehension of purpose. Okay. So then the second aspect that the commentaries speak of, that Nyanapanika and and Analio and and Joseph uh, all write about, is called clear comprehension of suitability of action. And what that means is not so much your heartfelt, deep inspiration, as in the first one, but just seeing the context that you're in, how you uh, might um, include practice in it. So for instance, when you're walking, oh, I can do walking meditation right now. When you're sitting, oh, I can just feel my breath or know that I'm sitting here. And that's how I can practice mindfulness. When you're eating, oh, I can do this as a, as a mindful meditation. When you are, whatever you're doing, um, can, you be, can you be mindful of it? And if it's, not, if it's not suitable to do your standard mindfulness because of the, the context you're in, knowing that, as I've mentioned here before, uh, Ramdas has this, this uh, saying, you know, when you're doing practice, it's good to know your zip code. That is, you know, you stop when it's red, you go on the green, or if you're at a, at a retreat and you're in the food line, it's not the time to be microscopically mindful and spooning your food onto the plate. You just feel the vibes from everybody behind you. So suitability is kind of getting a sense of your surroundings and seeing, okay, what am I doing and can I bring mindfulness to this action? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's not possible. Suppose you're you know, doing a project and you're reading, uh, you're reading some very complex stuff. It's really hard to take in all the information and figure out and process it as you're going Reading, 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 reading. The words won't get in. So that's a time where you just put it down for a little while. Okay, and pick it up later. 
So it's really getting a sense as you move through this world um, what you're doing and can you bring mindfulness to the activity. And if not, then you just put it down. Or if you need to adjust how you're moving through that activity, do it in a way that allows for um, as much mindfulness as possible. For instance, you know, on retreat, uh, if you're if you're doing walking meditation and you're going slowly, it can be lovely to just go, oh, lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing. But sometimes you might get a sense, I need to go fast. It's it's just I need some I need to uh, to discharge energy, or I'm tired, or I'm um, just wanting to feel alive. And so if you're going, lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing, as you're going fast, there's no way you can do that. Even sometimes just going left, right, you can't keep up if you're doing running. But you might instead turn your attention to feel the breath. <gasps> as you're going, so you change your subject of meditation to make it suitable for the activity that you're in. Okay, with me? Does that make sense? Okay, so now, these next two. The third clear comprehension is called clear comprehension in the domain of meditation. And what this means, it's, it's similar to the, to the second, but there's a different quality to it. And that is, instead of fitting your practice into your life, it's fitting your life into your practice and seeing that everything can be held in practice. That wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you have the inspiration to do it, it's all part of practice. That nothing is outside of practice. And this is a little, uh, a flip of understanding about our, uh, our Dharma practice, our meditation practice, because it's more than just seeing oh, it's really good to be mindful. Rather, it's seeing, oh, this is going to help me wake up. Whatever I'm involved in, whatever I'm doing, it's aligning me with that purpose, but it's having the perspective that you're making all of life's situations into practice. At least this is the way I, I take it. Um, that, uh, in fact, here's where I think I'll I'll read a little bit of Yanapanika and um, and share how I see this. Okay, this clear comprehension in the domain of meditation. He says. Mm, 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 mm. Not in the, explained in the old commentaries as not abandoning the subject of meditation during one's daily routine. Now this has to be understood in twofold, in a twofold way, and I'm going to uh, partly read this so you also get a flavor of Nyanapanika, who's this just like really clear mind. I'll read it slowly because it's just. Every word uh, is 
has a purpose. And don't worry about not getting it. But it's just, I love it. If a particular single subject of meditation is practiced, one should try to blend it with the work or thought directly required by the day's occupation. Meaning, for instance, if your practice for a while is, I'm just going to be with the breath, okay? He says, if you can, as much as possible, while you're going through your day, stay with the breath. Now, this is really as much for those on intensive retreat as, as anything. But he says, um, or express conversely, the work at hand should be given a place in the framework of the meditation. For instance, the function of eating may easily be related to contemplations on the impermanence of the body or the four elements or conditionality. So while you're eating, he says, oh, you can, you can check out impermanence as you're doing it. That, that might be one of your subjects. Oh, I'm just going to look at impermanence from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to sleep. That's my practice. That can be a single focus of practice. Okay. Thus, um, the two domains of meditation and ordinary life will merge to the benefit of both. If, as it may be in many cases, no link can be established between one's present work and one's particular meditation object, or if such connection would seem too vague or artificial to be of real value, then the subject of meditation should be deliberately put down like goods carried in the hand. But one should not forget to take it up again as soon as the work in question has been attended to. That procedure will also count as not abandoning the subject of meditation. So he's saying, if it's too much to do the task plus your meditation, he says, it's okay, consciously, okay, for a while, I'm just going to put down my object and I'll pick it up later. He says, but don't forget to pick it up. Okay. But then the second way to understand this domain of meditation, and I'll elucidate in the, after I read this, he says, but if one's meditative practice is all around mindfulness, that means mindfulness in whatever you're doing, whether it's eating or breathing or whatever, you just be mindful of whatever thing is, is arising. As advocated here, he's a big proponent of that, instead of just going for concentration, there will be no need ever to lay aside the, the subject of meditation, which in fact will include everything. Step by step, the practice of right mindfulness should absorb all activities of body, speech, and mind so that ultimately the subject of meditation will never be abandoned. How far one succeeds in that will depend on the presence of mind available at the single occasions and on the habit-forming and growing strength of diligent practice. The aim to be aspired to by the disciple of this method is that life becomes one with the spiritual practice and that the practice becomes full-blooded life. Okay, so now, first of all, let me, um, uh, in case you have a very high bar, let me uh, just um, encourage you to let go of the high standards of being mindful in every single moment. It's a, he says this is a good thing to go for, but it also happens to be the definition of a fully enlightened being. So cut yourself a little slack and just know, oh, the more mindful I am, the more I'm here for my life. And there's different, this is where that suitability comes in you know, if you're reading, like I said, 
It's not possible to go reading, 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 but it can be possible to take in the information and from time to time have a connection to your body. Oh, here I am alive reading this and then going into the details. But just from time to time, be present in a very general way. That's, it's possible. It's more possible than, than many people would think. But not to get obsessive about this, to feel really good every time that you are mindful. So that's one way you can think of this in the domain of meditation. Now here's another way that I think might be, it serves me and might be more practical and realistic besides the general mindfulness as much as possible. And that is... To see the places where we tend to get caught or stuck and to, rather than feeling discouraged, you know, oh, there I am blowing it again, or "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to go into this situation and I just seem to lose it every time I'm around her, or um, oh, I did it again, Uh, who was I kidding the great mindfulness practitioner, we can get very discouraged by how short we fall of our ideals. But when you turn it around so that you see that each situation where you tend to get lost becomes a kind of practice challenge, it changes everything. So for instance, you know, you might have a, a, a relative or um, a friend or a, a co-worker that, it's, that you are easily triggered by. Does that ever happen? Just, just in case, I hope you're with me on, on this, you know. And you know, oh, when I'm with them, maybe I'll keep it together for 10 minutes or 20 minutes, but at some point, I will probably lose it. Okay. Now, if you use it as practice... If you say, okay, here's the forward edge of my practice. Let's see how balanced I can be, how long I can go without losing it. That's okay. I find it's really helpful to play a game with myself. Let's just see. And there's no losing this game. It's just stretching yourself because every time you're willing to go with that kind of an attitude, there's no losing. There's just learning. Oh, well, took me about 18 minutes. I lost it. Okay, you know. Hey, I got up to 25 that time. How cool, you know. And so it becomes this kind of rich exploration, experiment. I do this regularly in my practice. When I'm finding myself tripped up somewhere, how can I turn this into a practice? And as a matter of fact, I was, I was trying to think of some examples of it. And, um, and there were... Two that came to mind just from today. I had two um, Skype sessions uh, with some uh, some people, both in Germany by uh, coincidence. And one of them was talking about this 
job that uh, she's recently taken working in a health food store or in a health store, in a health food store. And she's been enjoying working there for um, part-time. And then the owner said, you know, you're doing so well. How about if you go from 11 hours a week to 25 hours a week? And she tried it, but she realized, no, this isn't. It's, it's too much. And so she said, you know, I'd really like to go back to 11 hours a week. And the owner was somewhat annoyed and grumpy. He's, she says that he's a kind of grumpy guy by nature, but this placed a little bit of friction between them. But she's really good at what she does. Her job is, is selling. People come in, oh, can I help you? He wants her to sell as much as he can, as she can. You know, make sure they, they go for the, the product, you know, the, the more expensive one, and don't spend too much time getting to know them. Uh, just, you know, get the sale and move on to the next one. But she really enjoys connecting with people, and she wants to find out what they're involved in and what their ailment is. And so she asks questions and then, and she has some knowledge and she says, oh, um, you know, you might try this tea or uh, this other remedy that they're not selling in the store, just a kind of home remedy, and this is going to be good for you. And they're really grateful and saying, oh, Wow, it's, it's, thank you so much. But she's a little bit feeling his vibes watching her. And she said, I don't know what I should do. I, and she, her thing, I really want to learn more connecting with people. And, and she says in her life how sometimes she, she wishes she could connect more with people. And I said, Gosh, you're connecting with, with each, each customer that comes in. She says, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. And I said, well, how about you want to do your metta practice. How about each person is part of your metta practice. And also keep in mind that you can offer them something good for, uh, for their, their ailment. And with the, the grumpy owner, let him know that this is your way of having really solid, loyal customers. And if you done any, know anything about sales, if you can have somebody leave that store saying, I like going into that store. The vibe, the energy is really, it draws me. And if instead of saying, I don't know if I can handle this, now he gets so grumpy make it like your own private practice your own little challenge to yourself see if you can beam him with metta let him know that you are really wanting to get loyal customers for him and intend to sell but each person that you are there with is a chance for you to practice metta she was very happy. She was getting so excited about going into work. You know? And all it was was just a little shift of how you approach the task. So just before we go on, I do want to get to the fourth clear comprehension. Just before we go on, I invite you to maybe come up with some practice for yourself. Uh, just explore. Go inside. And bring to mind some particular area where you tend to be less mindful and balanced than sometimes you'd like. Maybe it's 
at work, maybe it's in a relationship, maybe it's within yourself, a judgmental mind or frustration, some kind of situation where you tend to get confused and lose your practice. And now, with this clear comprehension in the domain of meditation, can you make it into a practice? Can you make it into a challenge for yourself that you, there's no losing, but it's just seeing, oh, what kind of an attitude might support me really keeping on growing around this. And this will include great compassion because habits are deeply ingrained. But every time you have a new perspective, that says, oh, this is my practice. Then you're waking up every single time. It's just a little challenge to yourself. It makes it fun. It makes it like an adventure. It makes it like a a growth, true growth experience. As one of my inspirations, uh, Julia Butterfly Hill says, as long as you're learning, there are no mistakes. So you keep on learning, but hold this situation in the context of your practice. How exciting. And I would really encourage you, if you came up with something right now, to, um, to play around with it. Do an experiment for the next week. Let's play around with it like this. I had an experiment when I was uh, in my early 20s, 21, 22, that uh, I said, I'll just try this for one week and see about having a different attitude that changed my life. Because I was looking at the beliefs and the ideas that I had, oh, I'll always be this way. But I said, what if I just experiment imagining that I'm different than that? I won't, I've talked about it before, but there's not time to, to get into it now. But that's when I first got into this. Let's just check it out and try. That's what I'm talking about. Bring your practice into those very vulnerable places and make it an adventure of waking up. Okay, so now the fourth clear comprehension. Clear comprehension of purpose, of suitability of action, of the domain of meditation, making practice your life as practice. And the fourth Clear comprehension, clearly knowing, is called clear comprehension of reality. The big one. The one that often seems to elude us. What does that mean, clear comprehension of reality? Well, for the Buddha it meant something quite specific. Not just knowing, oh, this is a pad, and this is a bell, and this is a monastery, but going deeper than that and seeing beyond the separation of all the objects, including 
me that I find myself in. This is the clear comprehension of the non-separation of the concept called anatta, not self. Seeing the delusion or the illusion of separating ourselves out from the rest of life. Seeing this mind-body process that we referred to as I or me or mine as just a mind-body process with no fixed place, unchanging element to whom life is happening. That you are that continually changing flow of life and that you are not separate from all of life around you. Now, on one level, yes, you are separate. I'm James and you are you, and I have my own history and body and thoughts and personality. So it's not to deny that. But on another level, this is just life experiencing itself through these many forms. And there's no separation when you truly see with the eye of a Buddha or the, a glimpse into seeing through that non-separation. We have these glimpses. Now, to live from this place is, is full enlightenment. But we all have these glimpses. I, I love that treatise called uh, Nibbana for Everyone that uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa writes, where we all have glimpses of the non-separation of ourselves from the rest of life. It happens not uncommonly on retreat, where all of a sudden you see, oh, wow, um, I took a step and I saw that I was part of everything. Or as uh, I'm just remembering J.D. Salinger in his book, uh, Nine Stories, one story is um, Teddy, the story of this enlightened 12-year-old in the story. And he talks about how he had his first enlightenment experience. And he said he was watching his sister uh, drink some milk. And he said, uh, all of a sudden it became clear it was God pouring God into God. We have glimpses of this. And sometimes it can be unnerving. Sometimes it can be scary. Sometimes it's like, whoa, well, where am I? If I'm, if I'm, if I'm part of everything, am I going to disappear? It can be unsettling. Sometimes it can be joyful. Sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes it can... Generally, the more you are familiar and hang out with it, it is a tremendous burden to put down this sense of separation and it leads to the deepest kind of peace and trust and equanimity. And I'll uh, end this in a a moment, but I thought uh, I'd just share one one example of a glimpse of this. And uh, since it's from... Um, not only from Awakening Joy, but it, it's, uh, it's actually about Kate, who is the co-teacher here, where she shared her glimpse into the nature of reality and the non-separation. She says, um, when all of the fear and sadness and feeling of separation falls away, the only thing left is love. That's the undercurrent. And this happened to her one day. She was 
sitting at, in Massachusetts. She says, I was sitting on the porch one beautiful sunny afternoon feeling very happy. I closed my eyes for a moment and when I opened them, the tree about 10 yards in front of me had colors so vibrant it looked like it was glowing. I felt such a strong connection with it. I was part of that tree. Even the space between us was part of the connection. With no boundaries, I became part of the chair I was sitting in, part of the deck I was sitting on. The physical boundaries were still there in my mind, but on a deeper level, there was no identifying, that's a tree and this is me. And I knew that the thing connecting us all was an energy of love. Kate talks about her experience as a feeling of coming home and it had a profound impact on her life. She says, I'd been horribly shy with no confidence. That feeling of connection completely changed my life. I can feel connected with anybody now. All I have to do is love them. We're all part of this undercurrent. Though we all share suffering, we're also all linked by this love. So she calls that undercurrent love. It can be called in many different names. That's just words. But somehow, when we remove the barriers and we see we're all part of life together, there's a tremendous sense of ease and freedom. So this is the the fourth clear comprehension to keep looking as much as we can through that lens. Stop on the red, go on the green, know what your boundaries are, but to keep on seeing through that lens where there's no separation. Keep comprehending the deeper kind of reality. So these are the four clear comprehensions. Clear comprehension of purpose, clear comprehension in the domain of meditation, clear comprehension, sorry, clear comprehension suitability of action in the domain of meditation and of the underlying reality. And this enriches our mindfulness practice to see in that larger picture. So, there's not time for questions. If anybody has questions, I can hang around for a little while. But um, let's close with a, a short loving kindness. So now just tune inside. And you might just appreciate the fact that you're alive right now. Be aware of that. And be aware that you're connected to everything that life is expressing itself through you in a unique way, but you're connected to it all. May we all awaken to our true nature and may any good that comes from our being here together ripple out and be a benefit to all beings everywhere. May all know the highest happiness and peace.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.